0: Standing, take your Bibles if you would to the book of Jude, right before Revelation. That's the very last book. It's a little one chapter book. That's the book of Jude. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, we just began this little book, preaching through it. Uh, we uh, months ago did First John, then Second John, then Third John, and that naturally led us into this book of Jude. Again, the book of Jude, just one chapter this morning, or this evening rather. I'd like us to read verse 3 and verse 4. Jude, verse 3 and verse 4. If we could read that together, reading that out loud, let's begin there in verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for each one that's here. Minister to those of ours that are not here. But Lord, would you help us? Help us as we continue through this little book of Jude. Lord, it was important to you enough to put it in the Scriptures. I pray it will be important enough for us to look into what's written. Help us tonight. Guide my words. Fill me with your spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, last Sunday, we just really got started on this little book. In fact, my title last Sunday was an introduction to the book of Jude. Uh, We started with, uh, who was the person that wrote it? Notice there in verse number one, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. There are a number of people, sorry, let's back this up. There's only one person in the entire Bible that's called Jude, and that's this man right here. We don't have any other cross-reference to help us See, well, preacher, then who is this? Well, we know that Jude is the short form for Judah, short form for Judas. And in the scriptures, there are a number of men that are known as Judah, known as Judas. Uh, Look there again in verse number one. Really, the only hint that we're given is he is the brother of James. Now, if you were here, we already considered that. There is really only two Judas that have a brother named James. One of them is one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about Judas Iscariot. There was another Judas who was a brother of James. It could have been one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. The other possibility is uh, one of Mary's other children. We know that Mary gave birth to Jesus. After that, Mary gave birth to more sons, more daughters, And one of the sons, his name was Judas. So this Judas could either be one of the apostles, or it could be one of Mary's other children. And wouldn't it have been a great thing for him to waive that in his credit? But he didn't. Notice what he wrote about himself, Jude 1, verse number 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. This man, Jude, realized it doesn't matter who you are related to. It doesn't matter what position that you might have in the great work of God. If you don't serve the Lord, that position, that relationship means nothing to him. Who wrote it? We know it was a humble servant of Jesus Christ. Pastor, who was this book written to? It says it was written to believers those that have been sanctified and preserved and called, we looked at what is it that would push believers to serve God. And that's verse 2, God's mercy, God's peace, and God's love. But then we found out the purpose of this book. According to verse number 3, this man, Jude, was going to write about the common salvation. He was going to write about how good it is to be saved. He was going to write how good it is that our sins are forgiven, that we're on our way to heaven. But God changed the direction of this letter. Look at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And really what he was trying to do in this little letter is he was trying to encourage us to stand up for the faith that we've embraced. Sometimes the word faith in the Bible is trust. He has great faith. He has little faith. It's the amount of trust that we have in God. Sometimes the word faith is the body of all that we believe. We embrace the Christian faith. There is great attack today against the Christian faith. And so this man Jude is saying, you're going to have to earnestly contend for the Christian faith. You can't sit by and watch the world uh, knock it off his feet. Having said that, uh, you know, it's no coincidence that this book of Jude is the second last book in our Bible. You know that the last book is Revelation, talks about the Lord coming back. And so by the fact that this book is put just before that book of Revelation, it's a reminder of some of the things that you and I will face before the Lord comes back. And, of course, uh, what he's talking about is that there will be a great turning away from the faith. I know that there have been, in every generation, people that once held to the Christian faith and turned their back on the faith. But according to what Jude writes here, there will never be a greater turning from the faith than right before the Lord comes back. Paul said the same thing. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And uh, the very next part, giving heed to seducing spirits. Brother Ray preached a great message at our camp meeting. He said, How can you explain this mass exodus of people from the things of God? And he said, It has to be a spirit. It has to be a seducing spirit. So again, we looked at that. Preacher, what are we looking at today? Well, if you understand that this book of Jude is written to help people stand up for their faith, because the devil is going to have our faith in his crosshairs, the question is, how is the devil going to achieve it? Because if we are aware of how the devil is turning people away, then we will be all the more wise to stand up for it, if you aren't aware then you could be another casualty in the church. And so my title, I know that some of you take notes, my title this evening is Casualties in the Church. Casualties in the Church. Now, folks, we don't want to be a casualty. I trust you don't. You don't want to be a has-been. You don't want to have people say, "Yeah, I, I remember that man, that woman years ago. They used to be a faithful Christian I don't think they go to church. You don't want that ever said about you. I don't want it said about me. How does the devil achieve what he does? Again, we're going to look at casualties in the church. Look there, if you would, in verse number four. First question, if you'd write this down. Where are the enemies that Jude is warning up? Where? Say, preacher, where are these enemies that are trying to turn Christians away Well, look there at Jude and verse number four. The Bible says, for there are certain men crept in. Notice the in. When Jude wrote this, Jude was making it clear to the believers in the first century that our biggest enemy isn't the government without. You and I know that the governments of most countries today are not favorable to Christianity. Most governments will do everything they can to pass laws against the freedom of Christians in their country. But here, Jude said, uh, you're not in jeopardy because of the Roman government, not because of their laws, not because of their pressure against the church. It's not the Roman government that you need to worry about. Uh, It's also not Bible-correcting scribes and Pharisees. I know that in the first century there were Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees that so often stood against Jesus Christ and his apostles. And that's true today. There are those that would correct the word of God. uh, And yet that's not the biggest concern that local churches have. It's also not... Cults and isms that are knocking on doors and spreading their false doctrine. We know that there are Mormons out there. We know there are JWs. We know that there are other religions who are trying to peddle their cultish doctrines door-to-door. Their method is right. Door-to-door is a Bible method. Their message is wrong. And yet Jude said it's not cults that are going door-to-door that you have to worry most about. And he said, it's not also, it's not dens of iniquity. Folks, in that first century, there were bars just like there are bars today. There were houses of ill repute back then, just like they are today. There were places where there was gambling. There were places where there was the buying and selling of people. But Jude said, that is not the people that you have to most worry about that will try to steal your faith. Look at it again, verse number four. The Bible says, for there are certain men crept in, preacher, in what? In the church. Could I say to you, first of all, where are the enemies that Jude is warning of? And they're actually found within the church. They will literally try to make their way in. And you have to be careful when they try to make their way in. Say, preacher, why would that be so important for Jude to write that? Folks, it's true for our church. Aren't we praying that God will bring in some new people? Of course we are. Aren't we praying that God will add new folks to our congregation? Aren't we praying that the Lord will help the attendants to grow so that we can influence more for God and so that they could then go out and influence more for God themselves? So our desire to see our congregation grow is no different than that first century's desire to see their congregation grow. But in our praying for visitors to come, In our praying for lost folks to come in, in our praying for new people to be added to our church, we have to be careful that we don't embrace everything that comes in. Because the devil's method, and and as far as how these enemies and where these enemies of a local church are, they are in the church. So again, if you're taking notes, casualties in the church, and the first question, where are the enemies that Jude is warning of? And we say it's not those that are outside the church. It's actually some that the uh, devil would like to bring inside the church, and we need to be aware of that. You see, if you let down your guard... (laughs) And you're only looking, you're not going to see much looking out those opaque windows. Uh, but if, if all that we're doing is looking outside, trying to spot where the enemy might be, the devil's going to try to get the enemy in. Now, it's clear, verse number four. Again, look at verse number four. He says there, for there are certain men crept in. Uh, so we've answered where are the enemies that Judah's warning of, and they're actually found inside the church. I give you a second thing. Second thing is, uh, this question, if you write down, what is the method? What is the method of these enemies that Jude is warning of? Well, look at verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unaware. Crept. Now, that's quite a word. You know that word crept? This is the only place in all the Bible that you will find the word crept. Having said that, there is a close word, creep, (laughs) or creeping. Those words are found 39 times in the Bible. All of those times but two. It's used to describe animals. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some animals I don't like. Mice. I'm not big on mice. So I like mice. We have pet mice. You can have all the pet mice you want. Help yourself. But I just think there's something creepy about a mouse. Uh Snakes. I'm not big on snakes. I'm not small on snakes. I don't like snakes. The way that they slither, I think that would be a pretty close uh, homonym to uh, a creep. I, I there There's some animals. I'm saying to you, one time the word crept is in the Bible, 39 times the word creeping. And, uh, you know, except for two, they're always used of animals. Every time that they're used, they describe the seductive way that animals will do their stuff. Now, you know, if you're ever bitten by a snake, it's not going to stand up on its back what? Tail, back tail, and say, I'm after you. It's, it's going to sneak up on you. Uh, when uh, I was there in North Carolina, when I went to a Bible, Bible institute there, Um, our family had a chance to move into a rental house much nicer than the places I had been. And uh, the previous people had allowed the bush to grow up right to the back door of this house. So if you stepped out the back door, you were right now in jungle. It it had just gone that wild and, and that cluttered. And one of the very first things, again, we got to rent that house. And one of the deals, he gave us a super deal. He was a Christian man in the church. And he said, uh, I'll let you and and your sister, when our parents came down, visit. I'll let your family, I'll let you stay in this home under the condition that you kind of clean up some of that brush that's, that was a fair deal, I could do that. I could get a saw and cut down some trees. I could uh, get a lawnmower and a weed eater, I could do that. So we began to do that, and it was a great task, moving it back five feet and 10 feet. We were just cutting everything that was in sight, 15 feet and 20 feet. That Christian owner came a couple times, and he said, wow, this looks great. We're not done yet. You come back in a little while. We had pushed that thing about 20 feet back from the back door of the house. And uh, it it had all been mowed, it had all been cleaned up, but there was a piece of cardboard that had kind of got soaking wet, and we just kind of worked around that. We thought, let's wait till later when we collect all the trash. And uh, one of my co-workers on my bus route, his name was Joey. I said, Joey, do you want to be a blessing? Anytime. I said, why don't you come over and help me clean that brush up? And so uh, he he went to pick up that cardboard. I said, wait. I said, there's no telling what's underneath that cardboard. It just kind of the way it sagged, we figured there was a bit of a hole. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, he had been working with that weed eater. I said, get it ready. I said, I'm gonna pull this cardboard up and if there's something under it, just chop it up in little pieces with your weed eater. Uh, I said, if it's too big for a weed eater, I said, I'll already be hoofing it out of here. (laughs) And so he said, okay, and uh, so Joey, his last name, uh, I want to say Miller, uh, Miller, no, yes, Miller. Uh, anyway, he, he said, vroom, vroom, he said one of these two animal things. Do you know, I picked that car, but there were two snakes that are under there. And uh, he, sure enough, he was right in there and it diced it up. It was ready for supper right there. And... I told one of them, I'm a city slicker. I, I couldn't tell the difference between a king cobra and a garter snake or garden snake or whatever. And uh, I told one of the men at the church the next day, I said, Yeah, we hit a couple of snakes. He said, What kind were they? I said, Well, can you, desc-? he said, can you describe them? I said, Sure. And oh, he said, You know what? Those are po- that was a copper. Those are two copperhead snakes. That's big in the Carolinas. It's a good thing. You know what? In the Bible, this word creep and creeping creeps and crept, except for two times in the Scriptures, it's always used to describe animals that will do their work unseen until it's too late to detect what they've been up to. We're trying to answer the second question. What is the method of these enemies that Jude is warning of? And again, look there in verse number four, for there are certain men crept in unawares. And so, preacher, what is the method? And the method is they creep into the church, and they secretly bring in their agenda. Uh, If you and I were going to rob a bank, now, did you hear what I said? I didn't say we're going to rob a bank. Uh, It's strange. Some people leave the church hearing things that aren't even said. If you and I were going to rob a bank, we wouldn't walk in the front door with a sawed-off shotgun. We wouldn't do, it would be a little obvious what we were up to. Uh, if we were gonna rob a bank, we might have a gun back here or a gun, you can tell I don't have guns because you can't put them there, or a gun there. and. We would go into the bank like anybody else. We would stand in that line like everybody else. We would step up to the teller like everybody else. We'd pull out a note like no one else. And they would read that note that would say, give me all your money or I'll take your life if we were gonna if we were gonna rob a bank, we would not publicly announce our reason for walking in there. It would all be done in a sinister, darkened fashion. And here Judas saying that's exactly how the devil's agenda of hurting a church and hurting Christians in the church. They aren't going to announce their attention. They are going to creep in there, and they are going to quietly position themselves just right. Again, we are looking this evening at casualties in the church. First thing is, where are the enemies that Jude is warning of? They're in the church. Secondly, what is the method of these enemies that Jude is warning of? And the answer is they creep into the church and secretly begin to push their agenda. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, I I wasn't even born back then, then you're young. But back in the 70s and 80s, there was such a great movement in Bible preaching churches that if a visitor walked into the church for the very first time, There were many of them that before they walked out at the end of the service, they'd already come forward to trust Christ as their Savior, and they were ushered into the baptistry tank, and they were baptized, and not only were they saved and baptized, but they were added to the membership of the church all in one service. And uh, you see, Pastor, Pastor, why would they do that? They're just getting with it. That, that church just wasn't wasting any time. You see, Pastor, we don't quite do it like that. We take our time. I think there's a couple of reasons that we do. I think that if someone gets saved and baptized and becomes member of a church all in the same hour and a half, some of them are going to confuse what salvation meant and what baptism meant and what church membership meant. And it's all going to kind of flow together. How many times have some of us knocked on a door and said, have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior to, to be answered with, oh yes, I was baptized when I was 13? We're not talking about baptism. We're talking about when you got saved and trusted Christ as your Savior oh, yes, I joined the church when I was four. We're not talking about joining the church. We're talking when you bowed your head and trusted Christ as your Savior. So one of the reasons why we slow that very quick process down is so that people will understand there's a difference between salvation and baptism and joining a church. But you know there's a second as good reason to slow that down. We think that before somebody should join any church, they should know what that church stands for. They should know what that church believes. And as much as it was exciting (laughs) in the 70s and 80s to see a brand new person walk into the service and by the end of the invitation, they would bowed their head and trusted Christ as their savior and they were taken to the baptistry tank and baptized, and joined the church in the same, as much as that was exciting. I could tell you of accounts where people got, became a member of the church that quickly from an unsaved position to save, to baptize, to join, who later the church found out, they don't believe hardly anything that our church believes. They don't stand for any of that. They, 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 they're not convinced of all this. We need to take her time. Why? Jude says because sometimes God will introduce somebody into a church. They don't believe what that church believes. They don't stand for what that church stands for. So a little bit of caution would always be a good thing. Again, I say to you, all but two occasions of the word crept and creep and creeping... They were all about animals. But, uh, do you know, you say, well, you say all but two. Well, look at uh, this Jude is one of the two. Because it says in verse 4, there are certain men crept in. I want you to show the other place. Keep your hand there in Jude. Look in Second Timothy chapter number 3. Second Timothy chapter number 3 is the only other time in the Bible where this word creep or crept or creeping uh, is referring to something other than an animal. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Look there, if you would, in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. Uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be. Hold that thought. So we're talking about the last days before the Lord comes back. Look, and uh, if you would, in verse number 5. So some will, verse 5, have having a form of godliness. Again, in the context of a local church in the last days, there will be some that make their way in that have a form of godliness. They appear to be a Christian. They appear to love God. But the rest of verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away, for of this sort, that's these people that sneak their way into a church, for of this sort are they which creep into houses. So they not only creep into churches, they creep into houses and leave captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. Uh, Whenever I read that verse number six, I I think of door-to-door salesmen. Now, if you're a door-to-door salesman, forgive me. I wasn't thinking of you, but of the shoe fits, so be it. Uh, you know, sometimes a man goes off to work. He's off the work site all day long, and his wife is at home taking care of the children, and there's a knock at the door. And she goes to the door, and there's a man. He's got a smile from ear to ear. In fact, it's around both ears. Ma'am, that is a beautiful dress that you are be careful. Be careful if that's the first words out of someone, uh, someone's mouth at your door, ladies. And uh, before it's all done, she has signed on the dotted line for 24 equal payments of 69.95, dollars 95 And uh, he walks away and she thinks, I've got it. That's this word crapped. That's this word creeps. <laughs> he is a creep. Listen, if you can only sell your item by taking advantage of a naive woman, you need to get an honest job. That's for free. That's for free. That was the only other time where this word creep shows up in the scriptures. And again, it's in the context of the last days. About some will creep into homes and will literally hurt that home. Some, Jude says, will creep into the church and literally hurt that church. You know, many a young lady got married because of a slick-talking creep. <laughs> you say, well, what do you mean? He made all kinds of promises to her. And about the time that she bought into all those promises, uh, it, uh, she found out he wasn't anything like he portrayed he was. Do you know, over the 33 years of this church, we've had some that have tried to come into this church. We've, we've had Mormons that have come in. And we've had JWs that have come in. And uh, probably the most recent is the Steven Anderson crowd that's come in. And they all say, well, we really like this church. But in short order, they're distributing their material. And they're giving out their DVDs. And it's all in an effort to overturn the church of God. We're looking this evening at this titled Casualties in Church. First, where are the enemies that Jude is warning of, and they're found inside the church? Uh, secondly, what is the method of these enemies that Jude is warning of? And the answer is they creep into the church and secretly push their agenda. I give you a third thing. Look there in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4. Jude chapter 1 and verse 4. For there are certain men. So he is describing these that would overturn a church. Look there in verse number 8. Likewise also these. So we still talk about the same people. Look there in verse number 10. But these. Still talking about the same people. Uh, look there in verse number 11. Uh, woe and to them for they... Uh, Look there in verse number 12, these. Look there in verse 16, uh, it says these. Look there again in verse 19, it says these. Do you know everything from verse 4 to verse 19? Jude is describing these enemies of the faith. Now, I'm going to take weeks to talk about all this stuff. There's too much to cover in in a service. But I want you to quickly to get a grasp of some of the ways that you could identify these. Uh, look there again in verse number 4. It talks about they creep in unaware. So they'll do that without you knowing what they're doing. Look at the middle part of verse number 4. It says they are ungodly men. And so they might talk about God. But they're not at all like God. Look there in the last part of verse 4. It says, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. We don't really use that word, lasciviousness, much. But it's just a license to sin. So in the back of their mind, folks, they don't have much for convictions. They don't have many thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Everything is okay to them. Uh, Notice uh, there in the end of verse 4, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you compare verse 1, end of verse 1, it talks about God, and the end of verse 1, it talks about Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the end of verse 4 doesn't say they deny God and they deny Jesus Christ. It says they deny the Lord God. And it says they deny the Lord Jesus. What what does that mean? It's not that they deny that there's a God. They just don't want that God to be the Lord of their life. It's not that they deny Jesus. It's they don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. That word Lord is in there on purpose in the end of verse 4. And Jude is saying that if a church is not careful, there will be those that will try to creep in. Yes, they believe in God. Yes, they believe in Jesus Christ. But they don't want God and Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life. They're their own Lord. They're calling the shots themselves. Folks, that that is this list. You know, between verse 4 and verse 19, this man, Jude, gives us 24 details. Uh, we don't have time to go. Just look there in verse number, uh, verse number 13. Verse number 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars. Look there in verse 16. These are murmurers. Now, you know what murmuring is? But it's discontent, quietly. Be careful. If somebody comes to you and quietly, secretly expresses their discontent, that's a creep. Be careful of that. Again, 24 different details. Say, preacher, why would Jude think it's important to give us 24 details? so you and i can recognize that these are the enemies of a church and so we'll know who it is that we're to earnestly contend against do you know uh, say preacher is it that important Uh, yes it is because if you aren't aware that they're coming they'll catch you off guard i think that many would recognize the name madeline murray o'hare anyone recognize that name madeline murray o'hare was instrumental she was an enemy of the church of course and she was instrumental in getting Bible reading out of the schools but you know Madeline Murray O'Hare isn't the biggest enemy of the church because she did her work from without the church you know who's a bigger enemy than Madeline Murray O'Hare it's someone that doesn't think it's important for a Christian day after day after day to read their Bible she might have got it out of the public school but she couldn't get it out of your life. But if somebody convinced you that you don't need to read your Bible every day, that's the enemy that you need to worry about. Madeline Murray O'Hare didn't put much credit in the Bible. I I think she did. That's why she wanted to get it out of the school. But Madeline Murray O'Hare, if we had pressed her, she probably would have said, no, I don't believe that book is perfect. You don't have to worry about a Madeline Murray O'Hare. You've got to worry about somebody in the church that says it's not that important to read your Bible every day. That's the one you have to worry about. Uh, When someone in the church says, you know, I don't think that King James is perfect, that's the one that you need to worry about. Uh, Again, we're looking at who are the enemies that uh, Jude is warning of, and these are those that they are fleshly, and they are uh, sinful, and they are unsubmitted to God. Uh, Do you know that uh, the bartender in town down down the street, I don't know his name because I don't know him, Uh, the bartender in the bar down the street, yes, he is an enemy of the church in that he would like to get everybody in the church to drink at his establishment at least once a week, but he's not your biggest enemy. It's the one in the church that says, I don't think there's anything wrong with a social drink. I think if it's a special occasion, maybe a little bit of liquor is okay for the right occasion. That's the one that you need to worry about. Folks, that's the one that gets in the church and says, you don't read that Bible every day. That's the creep that you have to watch out for. Uh, the one in the church that said, listen, you know what? Everybody drink? No, everybody doesn't drink. Everybody, no, everybody doesn't drink alcohol. The one that creeps in the church that said, listen, I think that there are occasions where liquor is okay. That's the one that you have to worry about. Do you know that uh, the uh, atheist and the agnostic uh, uh, is, I know they're an enemy of the church when they deny God. I know that when we hold up scripture signs, I know that not everybody is waving and they're happy with us. I understand that. But the few that aren't happy with us, that's not our biggest enemy. Our far bigger enemy is somebody in the church that says, I think that's too fanatical to take the scripture out to the streets of the city. I think that you ought to keep your religion. To your Listen, that's what the world talks about. And we would expect the world to say that. But when somebody in the church says, I don't think it's important to take the gospel to sinners. I don't think it's important to hold up scripture signs in this city. I think that you should keep your religion to yourself. If somebody in the church is saying that, that's the one that you have to worry about. That's his point. So again, we're looking at this subject, the casualties in the church, and our question is, who are the enemies that Jude is warning of, and these are the ones whose lives are fleshly, they are unsubmitted to God. Well, Pastor, I'm saved by God's grace, and I'm kept by God's grace, but I think I can live any way that I want. That is an enemy that's inside the church. You know, when God saved you, God bought you, God has a right to you, And to your life, and when you find somebody, I can listen to the music I want, I can dress the way I want, I can run with the crowd that I want. If those things are not of God, it's not your choice. We would expect a lost aunt, or a lost uncle, or a lost grandparent to say, that's just too narrow-minded, and that's just too, we'd expect that from someone lost. But if somebody inside the church is saying those same things, folks, you need to write, I was just counting how many letters, you need to write five letters creep. (laughs) Because their agenda is to hurt you and to hurt your church. That's what he's talking about. That's how casualties in the church are. You know, it uses that word in Jude, in verse number, uh, verse number 4. It talks about certain men crept in unawares, uh, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Oh, stop right a I need to make a comment. Uh, there's a group that's called Calvinists, and Calvinists thinks God picked some for heaven before the world was created, and God picked some for hell. That God picked some to bless and God chose some to be an example of who God would curse. We don't believe that. We believe whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we believe. But those that believe that God picked some for heaven and God picked some for hell, they love verse 4. Let's see what it is they love and let's set the record straight. For there are certain men crept in unawares who, but were before of old ordained to this condemnation. You see, you see, there, Pastor, God picked those particular people that they would try to overturn godly. That is not what that says. Do you know, God, before the foundation of the earth, decided that those who will trust Christ as their Savior, I'm going to help them to become more and more like Jesus Christ. On the other hand, those that reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, I am going to do in their life something that's absolutely diabolical, and they'll not only destroy their own lives That choice was made in the past, but God didn't put anybody's name on what he predetermined a long time ago. He said, whosoever will. And if you choose Christ, guess what? You are on that path. And God said, if you choose that you're not going to make Jesus Christ your Lord, well, guess what? You are on an awfully dicey path going away that you never expected. Again, I say third. Uh, Third, we have seen as who are the enemies that Jude is warning of. And these are the ones that promote the flesh. These are those that are unsubmitted to God. Uh, It used this word uh, lasciviousness there in verse 4 and of course that lasciviousness is fleshly living and it breaks our heart when, when, when folks there are some great churches in the past that that, that that accomplished great things for god until some within the church tried to change the agenda and the direction of that church and either, it, 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 either the church just threw up their hands and in the interest of keeping people, period, they said, okay, let's go down that way. And there are other churches that said, we're not going that way. His church history tells that. Do you know, the devil is so sly. He wants to change things in such little increments. And many of the ways that he starts is that lasciviousness. I'm my own boss. I can do what I want. But it never stops. It never stops. I, I give you a fourth thing from the text. And look there, if you would, in Jude 1, verse 4. You see, everything you've given us is verse 4. Uh, Jude 1 and verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Notice the present tense. I know that Jude is writing in the first century. Again, he's talking about his century. For there are, present tense, not were, it's are. It's going on in the first century. For there are certain men crept in unawares. You didn't know that they made their way in. You didn't know what they were up to who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. Now, I want you to notice two words that is found in the last half of verse 4. Turning, again, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, lasciviousness, and denying. First, they began to turn. And at some point after that, it was a complete out-and-out denial. Folks, no one, no one goes from being a saved, baptized member of a church, loving God, servant, no one goes from that Sunday. And by Monday, they're just out no, rejecting the lordship of God. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen that fast. What happens is, first of all, there's just a little turn. That's why it says turning. Just a little turn. Just a little adjustment. Just a little change. And then a little more change. And then a little more change. And a little more change. And sometimes it's so slow you can't even tell it. It starts with a turning. But after so much of that turning has taken place, it ends up in a total denying you know what the answer is? Fight it when it's turning. Don't wait till it's a total denial. Again, and you've seen as well as I, of course I'm a pastor, so I travel a lot and I'm in other churches. There are some great churches, great at one time. And now if you walked in, you'd say, is this a church? <laughs> what happened? It didn't happen overnight. Uh, there was just a gradual turning. And finally, at the end of that, it was just, no, no denial. Uh, A preacher years ago, Leroy Pennell, still alive, no longer pastoring. His son has taken over that church, Beery, Ontario. But Leroy Pennell, who is one of the old dinosaurs of independent Baptist works in Canada, Leroy Pennell said this uh, to pastors just like me. He said, the devil wants to convince you that if you make just a couple of little changes in your church, that you will bring in more people because it's just more accommodating to new people. But he said this, you'll never turn enough to make them satisfied. You've heard this, give an inch and they'll take a mile. So, preacher, it's just an inch. No, it's the beginning of a mile. So a a church decides we're not going to stick just the old-fashioned hymns. You won't stop at that. A a, a church decides, you know what, we've had these expectations for all these years, and it's time to let her go. For what? Well, we'll bring in, they'll never be happy, uh, because... let me illustrate this. And I'm making this off the top of my head. This is where we are. And it, whatever the most contemporary church in town is, you put it, don't even say it. There are some. <laughs> and so what happens is the devil intimidates the Golden Plains Baptist Church and says, if you were just a little bit more like that, you'd get some people to come. If we go here... Well, they might come for a few weeks. But we're not liberal enough. So they'll leave. Well, Pastor, if we just go here, it's still not enough. They'll always find another church that's turned further. And if that's what they want, if if they don't want God to be the Lord of their life, You will never turn enough until you deny the Lord God. You'll deny him being the Lord of your life. You say, well, Pastor, we want more people, and we do. Folks, we're praying, we're fasting for that. But are we going to sacrifice the old-fashioned faith to get, People who will just come for a short bit and then come to the conclusion you haven't turned enough. I say the last thing if if you'd write this down. We're looking at the casualties in the church and our last question is why are the enemies that Jude is warning of so dangerous? Why are the enemies that Jude is warning of so dangerous? Because those enemies want you to turn, but that won't be enough. They want you to turn more. And that won't be enough. They, they want you to turn, but that won't be enough. They want you to turn more. That won't be enough. It'll never be enough until you openly defy and say, I'm going to live the way I want to live. God will not be the Lord of my life. That's where it got. To. It started with turning. It ended with an out and out denial. Pastor, I, I may not agree with all the areas of separation, but I'd never deny the Lord. Not yet. It just starts a little turning. Could I give you a little heads up? These people that Jude is warning of, they're creepers, they're deceivers. Here's how they start. You know, I, I like about 99% of what Golden Plains Baptist Church does. You know what they're wanting to talk about? Help me. The 1%. You know what your answer should be? Then let's talk about the 99% that we agree with. Folks, you don't have to go down the 1%. Listen, I might come to your home if you invited me to your home. That's a hint. If you invited me to your home. I wouldn't agree with everything in your home, just like you might not agree with everything in my home. It would be a gentleman of me to say, Great home. Thanks for the invite. I'm blessed. Why would I bring up the one thing in your home? Why would you bring up the one thing in my home? That's the way that the devil works. They're not interested in talking about the common ground of agreement. They're interested in stirring up the one place of disagreement. Don't fall for it. So when someone says, you know, I agree with 99%, isn't that great? You probably agree with more than I do. Let's talk about the 99%. They don't want that. They don't want that at all. That's not their purpose for making that statement. Again, Paul warned about about these that would enter in, and uh, Peter warned about the same thing. The whole point I'm trying to make is Jude is saying here, don't give somebody an open door to hurt your faith. Don't, Don't do it. Don't give someone an open door to hurt your church. Don't do it. And you know this last thing, why are the enemies of Judah's warning of so dangerous? Because they want to start with just a little turning. But they'll not quit until it's a total denying. They won't stop until God is no longer given his rightful place. And he's saying, don't give anybody that room. That's the reason why some one-time great churches are now has been. Somebody remained quiet when they should have earnestly contended for the faith. I'm done with this. Mark Twain. Have you ever heard the name Mark Twain? He was a writer. He was an author. It was Mark Twain that wrote those books, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, do you know, Mark Twain one day met a Christian woman, and he liked her, and he expressed the fact that he liked this Christian woman, and he wanted to marry her, but she said no. And he said, why? And, and she said, you know, I, I'm not convinced that you embrace Christianity. I'm not convinced that it's genuine in you. So this man, so anxious to marry this Christian woman, to change her mind, he he began to go through the motions that he knew she expected. So he was being deceptive to win her heart. and, And that deception tricked her to the point where she agreed because she was convinced that he had changed. She agreed and she married him, Mark Twain. You know, he played that Christian game for only a short while after they finally got married but it wasn't long before he told her that he couldn't keep up with the hypocrisy and uh, he said to her that he just didn't really believe her christian faith what a heartbreak I i could take you to places across this country and in the states where there have been young women that could repeat that same testimony They had been wooed to marry somebody by promises of, I love God. And it was just a fake. That guy was a creep. Well, now he's no longer even faking being a Christian. And so as that marriage continued, because of this, he was making fun of her faith. And he was poking fun at her commitment to God. She came to the place where she quit going to church and she quit reading her Bible and she quit prayer and she gave up on God himself and she felt so guilty that she betrayed her Savior that she went into deep depression And Mark Twain, feeling that he had robbed his wife of her once rich faith, he said to his wife, listen, dear, if your Christian faith will comfort you, why don't you just go back to it? You know what her answer was? I have no faith to go back to. It's all gone. And that woman died, a miserable woman. You ought to be happy in your Christian faith. And There might be some people that don't like you being happy. Let them be them. You walk with God. You talk to God. And when they try to turn your faith... That's the time to earnestly contend for the faith. We've looked tonight at Christian casualties, casualties in the church. Where are they? They're in the church. What is their method? They secretly creep in and push their agenda who are these enemies? They are the one that promote the flesh, that your flesh should have a right to do what it wants to do. They are unsubmitted. Why are they so dangerous? Because they won't be happy with slight changes. They want to bring you to a total denial. Let's pray. Father, we pray it help us. Lord, I'm just preaching through the next book. And I know that Jude is a pretty solemn book. And Lord, if Jude had to write these things in the first century, they are certainly as applicable, if not more, just before the Lord returns. Lord, I know that some are new to the Christian faith. Some have been Christians for a long, long time. Lord, there's an enemy. That's the devil himself that wants to turn them from God back to this world. The devil has a way of using creeps that will sneak into their lives and stir a discontent for all that God is doing. Help us, Lord, in everything to give thanks. Help us to beware of this agenda Help us to stand for the old fashioned faith